News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the year that was almost in 2020 and how we're feeling about 2021. And again, if you've got something you're thinking about changing or maybe doing, I don't want to go so far as to call it a resolution, but just something you're thinking about for 2021, email me, simi at cknw.com. There is some more year-end polling from Ipsos Public Affairs this morning. Absolutely fascinating stuff that we've been talking about all week. Joining us now is Ipsos Public Affairs CEO, Daryl Bricker, to talk about how can Canadians are feeling on the issue of 2021. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning, Simi. I'm hoping that we're feeling slightly optimistic about this. Well, 72% of the people listening to you right now are optimistic. Okay, that's a good sign, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. But uh, I I will tell you that the condition on all of this is whether you're feeling especially optimistic about being able to deal with COVID in the short term, getting it behind us, or you figure it's going to take a longer period of time. If you're a person that's pessimistic about what's going to be happening with COVID, you're likely to be less optimistic about what's going to happen in 2021. And is there a reason why people are feeling optimistic? Yeah, there's an awful lot of people in Canada who do feel that we're going to be doing better uh, with COVID. And I think it's probably as a result of uh, the news that we've been getting on vaccines. Yes, there's a lot of issues with, uh, uh, you know, distribution and maybe with access to vaccines, but people are beginning to see light at the end of the tunnel. Now, I know that for me, there's a list of things that, you know, if things get back to normal and the vaccine works out, I would like to do in 2021 at some point. Uh, What's on other people's lists? Well, uh, right now, people are really reluctant to do anything that involves crowds, uh, and in particular, anything in which you can't control your physical space. So going to a big concert, going to a big sporting event in an arena, even traveling on an airplane, people are telling us they're very reluctant about doing any of that in the short term. Now, they may change their mind if, we, uh, if, they're, if they get a vaccine, but right now, they're very reluctant. Right. So it's, but at some point, that's good news for those industries, right? I mean, if 76% say they're looking forward to, you know, perhaps doing a sporting event or going to a sporting event, well, that means that there's hope if they can hang in there. Exactly. There's a lot of pent-up demand. But the other thing that we know, Simi, and this is some of the polling that we did earlier, uh, released earlier in the week, there's a lot of people who've been saving money from doing those things in the past that are looking forward to getting back to them and maybe, uh, you know, would be very interested in an opportunity to spend their money again to go out and do those things that they haven't been able to do. Interesting. What about working from home? How are people feeling about that? Well, the first part on that, one of the things that really surprised me um, in in the survey results was only about 20% in the survey were reporting they were working from home. Hmm. So we we have this idea in our head that there's tons and tons and tons of people working from home. Yes, 20% is a large number, but the other 80% either aren't working or are working outside of the the home still. So, um, you know, it's always interesting when we talk about whether you're going to work in the office or not work in the office. There's an awful lot of people who don't have an office to go to, so we need to keep that in mind. But of the people who are working at home and uh, have been not able to go back into the office, only about half of them say that they're excited about the prospect. Really? And and that's my experience, too, with the people that I work with and, and even in my house. My daughter has been working from home since this all began. Does this change, do you think, um, permanently, the workplace as we move forward, or is it going to be, we'll get over this and it's all going to go back to normal? It is the topic I've been reading the most about 
this space really? for the last few weeks. Well, you know, we're hearing everything from, you know, real estate, uh, you know, distribution changing to, you know, uh, what the new office is going to be like, what, uh, you know, what the rules are going to be about, you know, from working from home, all those kinds of things. The truth is we have a lot of theories right now. We have very few data points. Is there, <laughs> very, was it regional at all based on how optimistic we were? Like, did it depend on what province we live in or anything like that? Yes. So the, the optimists in the country live in places like British Columbia. They live on the two coasts. So British Columbia and Atlantic Canada, people who are more pessimistic living in places like Alberta, the other provinces measuring somewhat in between. Uh, also, if you're better educated, more affluent, uh, more male, um, you're probably uh, more, uh, more optimistic about what the future is going to be like. Well, I think we know one thing for sure, Daryl, you're still going to be very busy in 2021. And I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Thanks Happy for being here. Happy New Year to you too. That's Daryl Bricker, Ipsos Public Affairs CEO, talking about their year-end polling that they have been doing this time on how optimistic people are. Uh, just about 86% of people uh, thought, those people who think that the virus will be under control are optimistic on that. 38% think the caseload is still going to be rising. So there's still some pessimism out there uh, when it comes to dealing with the virus. However, overall, Daryl found about 72% of people feeling generally optimistic about the year ahead. Now, does that describe, do you think, how you're feeling about 2021? I hope so. I mean, it can't be worse. This is what I always tell myself, right? My kids always make fun of me because I say that to them if something bad happens or they're going through a tough time. I think, listen, it could be worse. I'm generally an optimistic person, though. Uh, But when you look back on 2020, you think, could it be worse? Like, I don't know what more could have happened to shake people the way that, you know, past year has shaken so many of us. So, yes, I'm optimistic about 2021. How about you? Well, as we look back on 2020, we wanted to talk about your car, your vehicle that you use. All kinds of vehicles were on everyone's wish list this past year. Maybe you downsized. Maybe you sold your vehicle because you didn't need it for a while, thought about getting back into the market. Well, it turns out that autotrader.ca has been tracking the trends in the types and kinds of vehicles that we purchased in 2020. And there's a few things that they noticed that's really interesting. So joining us now is the Auto Trader Editor-in-Chief, Jody Lai. Good morning, Jody. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here to talk about this because I found this I find this kind of topic really interesting. I love to talk about cars. So what did we search for the most in BC? So BC really led with a lot of luxury this year, which is a little bit of a surprise. But uh, just to go over maybe the top five searched vehicles in BC, it was the Ford F-150, of course. the Porsche 911, the Ford Mustang, uh, BMW M, and then the Mercedes-Benz C-Class. So four out of five of those top five are luxury cars, which was very interesting to see, especially because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Four <laughs> out of five luxury. I know the Ford F-150, I mean, that's just a workhorse, right? Everybody, that is like the most popular truck in Canada. That's true, yes. Okay, so luxury cars. And so did any other province come close to that? Um, BC really led the way with luxury. I, th- I believe it was... Um, the most luxury-focused province in the whole country. Um, 60% of the top 10 list in BC was luxury cars, which is interesting to see. Um, And a lot of the the common cars that we've seen on there in years past are not on there anymore. For example, the Honda Civic was last year's number two top-searched car in BC. This year, it's not even on the list. Really? Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. And what else are we searching for? Like, I would imagine that electric vehicles are pretty popular too. 
Yeah, that's true. So in BC, we saw um, a 14% year-over-year growth for electric and hybrid vehicles, which is not a surprise considering that that those types of vehicles are really popular in BC, but we've, we've seen increases nationwide too. All right. So are people turning more, do you think, to driving in 2020? Did they kind of change their minds about other forms of transportation? Yeah, so we... Auditor.ca did a couple studies, one in the beginning of the pandemic and one a bit more recently. And uh, both times we saw that consumers were a little bit uneasy with public transportation and ride sharing. Um, And so we saw an increase of searches for vehicles. Um, In part of our study, I think 28% said that they plan to purchase a vehicle since the pandemic. And about half of that group did attribute it to, to the pandemic. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so are people buying vehicles online, Jody? Yeah, so that's becoming, I think, as this year obviously was crazy. And so I think a lot more people are becoming more and more comfortable with doing things online. And, and this year, autotrader.ca actually became the first um, platform where you could buy a car fully online. So that's really cool. Wow. How does that work? Like, how, how do you buy a car online? Well, it, it work, it's different from province to province, um, and so it really depends on what the uh, regulations allow. Um, but we partner with dealerships to, to use our technology to, to kind of facilitate those processes. So, you know, from paperwork to test drives, like it, it's really different from province to province, even from dealer to dealer. Um, but yeah, you can, you can buy some cars fully online now, which is, which is nice to see when people are, you know, trying to stay home more. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think the car industry, the vehicle industry, has it done a good job of pivoting in these times? I think so. Yeah. Dealerships have been really great with making sure, um, it's a safe place to buy cars, you know, a lot more, um, dealerships are pivoting to doing online, even they'll do like uh, walkthroughs, like they'll do a Zoom call with you and walk you through the car and answer any of your questions. So you don't actually have to go into the dealership to yeah. do that. Um, some of them will deliver cars to your house that you can test drive. Um, you know, they all have new protocols for sanitizing and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think I think the automotive industry has really stepped up. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because I remember at the beginning of the pandemic where even car ads, you know, vanished from TV, but it didn't take very long for them to come back with the whole like adapting essentially to the pandemic. Yeah, they adapted really well. And even a lot of automakers in the beginning of the pandemic were offering like payment relief and stuff like that because so many Canadians like lost their jobs and it was really tough and a lot of people were struggling um, and so a lot of a lot of automakers were offering like payment deferrals and stuff like that, which was really nice to see. Wow. Okay. So do you think then the 2021 is looking okay for the auto industry? I I hope so. <laughs> I mean, like 20. I think as um, as the vaccines start to roll out and Canadians start to feel more comfortable. I think uh, we're definitely looking forward to some some positive changes for the automotive industry in, in 2021. Oh, I hope so too. Thank you so much for your time, Jody. Thank you. That's Jody Lai. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. That's the editor-in-chief at autotrader.ca. They took a look at some of the trends off their website for the past year and some interesting stuff there. So here in BC, the list of cars that were most searched for by people in BC, uh, Ford F-150, top of the list. That doesn't surprise me at all. Have you ever noticed in a day how many Ford F-150s you pass on the road? Shouldn't surprise you that that is number one. Uh, But also what was surprising here is that the 
rest of the top five was made up by luxury vehicles, the Porsche 911, the Ford Mustang, the high-end Ford Mustang, uh, Mercedes, BMW. That was all in the top five. And as Jody pointed out, BC actually leads the country when it comes to the most interest in searching for luxury vehicles. Also, searches for electric and hybrid vehicles increased 14% over the last year. I think 2021 is going to be big for that, that there's a lot more models coming out in 21 and 22 uh, in terms of electric vehicles and hybrid vehicles. It's going to be an interesting time. If you want to weigh in, see me at cknw.com. The song is so perfect for the end of 2020 because it was a wrecking ball. It did come in like that right around, oh, end of February, beginning of March. So it felt like that way for sure. One of the things that people did have done to try to comfort themselves over the past year is to maybe get a new pet. Now, the holiday season is a popular time to maybe pick up a new pet And animal advocates have really been afraid that too many people might turn to a puppy or a kitten mill as sources of adoption because a lot of legit places have waiting lists to get a pet. So Lori Chordick is the general manager of communications for the BC SPCA. And she talked to our Nikki Reitmeyer and said that the SPCA saw an increased interest in adoptions through the pandemic. We certainly saw very strong interest in adoption during the pandemic. I mean, I think at any time, uh, we know that animals bring so much comfort and companionship to us. They're good for our health. So there's so many good things about having pets in our life. But we definitely saw during the pandemic uh, just more interest. And I think it's because people were isolated, they were anxious, and just all those good things that animals bring into our lives were needed so much more during covid Yeah, absolutely. And unfortunately, I suppose one negative consequence of that is that people may not be seeking pets through the right channels. Going to the SPCA and adopting a pet in need is a great way to do it. But for others who have found, perhaps due to high demand or for whatever other reason, that they were unable to find a pet through the SPCA, they've instead turned online and then maybe unintentionally and completely unknowingly were purchasing pets from kitten mills and from puppy mills. Absolutely. And this is an ongoing problem because the people that run puppy mills and sell their puppies to brokers, they're very good at deceiving people. Um, They mainly work online, and so they can have websites that look so lovely, um, but they're just facades. Those animals are really being raised out in outbuildings and barns in just horrific conditions, but they can post any photos that they like. Um, on the website and it looks good and they always have these wonderful descriptions of how the animals are being raised. But there are definitely uh, red flags that are there that can help people um, understand whether they're dealing with a reputable breeder or a puppy mill. And so we really try to encourage people to ask as many questions as possible so that they know what they're getting because it really is unfortunately a buyer beware situation. Before we talk about those red flags that people should be looking out for, I'll ask you now, with Christmas just around the corner, people will once again be considering giving pets as gifts for the holidays. I imagine that this continues to be a concern for you. Absolutely, because having a pet in your life, it's you're taking on a commitment for the lifetime of that pet 
and that's a big decision to make for another person. So we always encourage people, unless it's the case of parents who are, you know, getting an animal for their children, and obviously the parents will be primarily responsible for the care, um, to never give a pet as a gift. Um, it's a sentient being. It has all sorts of needs, and it could be a 10- or 15-year commitment. So that's not the kind of decision you want to make for another person. Um, however, in terms of bringing animals into your home at Christmas, there's really no bad time of year to bring a pet into your home if you're ready, if you have the time and the energy and the resources to bring a, a pet into your home. Uh, Christmas isn't a bad time to do that, but it should always be with the knowledge of everyone who is going to be taking care of that pet. So for those who are ready, who have seriously considered this, and they want to purchase a pet, especially as we get closer towards the Christmas season, what are those red flags that you alluded to earlier that people should be looking out for so that they're not buying a pet from a puppy mill or from a kitten mill? Well, and this relates Um, not only to people who are buying animals, but also people who are going through rescues because there are very reputable rescue groups and there's some pretty shady ones as well. So you want to apply the same criteria whether you're adopting or purchasing a pet. Um, So a reputable breeder will always let you see where the animals are raised. They'll show you the parents. They will have vet records available so you can see Um, not only that the puppies are healthy and vaccinated and have everything they need, but you can see the parents' health records because that's very important as well. Um, They also will ask you a lot of questions because they'll want to make sure their animals are going to a home that really matches the needs. Um, They won't let them uh, leave the parents less than eight weeks. Uh, So there's a whole list of things that they'll be asking of you, but really the issue is transparency. You need to see where those animals are being raised. Uh, Unscrupulous breeders, often um, they will want to meet you somewhere. They won't want you coming to their place. They will meet you somewhere. Uh, They'll also sell their animals through pet stores or online. Uh, They won't have vet records available. So really, the more questions you ask, um, a good reputable breeder or a good reputable rescue group will be very open and transparent and want you to have that information. All good information. Is there anything else that you think that people should know before purchasing a new pet? I think just really, I mean, it's a shame that it has to be a buyer beware situation, but the more questions you ask, uh, the chances are you're going to get a healthy, well-adjusted pet because, unfortunately, when you come from when a, an animal comes from an unscrupulous breeder, they're often not well socialized. They um, are inbred. They have a lot of issues, and that will come back as you have that pet. You'll be paying big vet bills. There may be behavioral issues. So, unfortunately, there are long-term consequences of dealing with unscrupulous breeders. So an update for you on the situation for the people who are living out at Strathcona Park. There were some new temporary essential services that were announced yesterday, but the plan kind of admits that there's no real timeline to deal with the situation going on. So this comes after that announcement a couple of weeks ago that the city is going to work with BC Housing to create spaces at either the Jericho Hostel or the 2400 Motel on Kingsway. So let's talk about what the plan includes, what it doesn't include, where it's at. Joining us now is Pete Fry, Vancouver City Councillor. Good morning. 
Good morning, Simi. Hey, what do you think about this plan then? Do you think this is actually going to get people out of Strathcona Park in a, in a timely fashion? Well, I mean, I think it's important to contextualize that, that the release that you're referring to is a release from BC Housing, um, and they're just sort of one of the pieces of the partnership here. And um, they're certainly a critical part of the, the operation to decamp Strathcona Park and get folks into housing. Uh, and it's and it's good to have them at the table, and, and it's important to sort of contextualize that, that they weren't really at the table during the course of the provincial election and in the aftermath until fairly recently. So... You know, it's a it's a it's a it's a press release on the on December thirtieth. Um, that's pretty scant on details, uh, but I but I do appreciate that they're at the table, and that's that's the the big right. kind of critical distinction here. Okay, but then what about the overall plan? Then, like, what is the plan to move people out of Strathcona Park and into something more stable? Yeah, so they they reference to uh, city-owned properties, the twenty four hundred and and the Jericho Hostel, and and um, we've been pretty clear in the in the conversations as as council that uh, that those locations aren't uh, appropriate for just moving folks straight from the park to to them. That they're they're going to require a little bit more kind of independent living and a kind of and um, higher barrier for for folks. Um, who will be staying there. So it, it'll be a bit of a, a shuffling around of, of folks right. uh, to fill those spaces and free up other spaces that might be more appropriate for people who are who may be living in the park right now. Um, we, we need more than just those spaces, so I'm really sort of anticipating what the next announcement will be as far as where we're securing actually the additional spaces because, as, as you know, during the pandemic, all the existing shelter spaces have been incredibly compromised by virtue of the need for physical distancing. Um, I was in the park last night, right. though, and it's it's pretty abysmal conditions there. So I, 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 you know, obviously I'm not an epidemiologist or a medical doctor, but it would seem to me that, that anything would be better for health and safety and sort of COVID prevention than what we what we see in the park right now. Although I will say that the numbers of, of, of campers in the park seems to have significantly di- diminished over the last little while. Really? And so... Well, observationally for me, and I was there at night, and so you can get a sense of, you know, where lights are on. And there's certainly a, a, a number of walking through. There's quite a few um, abandoned tents. Why do you think that is? Where have people gone? I couldn't hazard a guess. You know, part of part of this shift in, in, in the, the approach is that we now have uh, city outreach teams that are allowed to go into the encampment and stuff. And the, the protest encampment had previously sort of... Um, prevented our, our our outreach teams from going into the park and assessing what people's needs were and what their status was. So I expect that we probably have a more fulsome picture. But I I wasn't there with with our outreach teams. I was just there as a as a resident. So then, even from what you're saying, then do you think there is progress being made? I do. I do. Um, you know, I think we'll see a lot more progress in the new year, including um, really a move to start to sort of. Um, reclaim the jurisdictional sort of authority over the park. So working with park board and ensuring that, that, um, you know, and to be honest, it's been frustrating for me, as you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a resident of the neighborhood as well. And so when the camp had first landed there, and if you'll recall, it was moved from another location with large one ton trucks. So it, it was, it was kind of an instant encampment with, you know, a couple of dozen tents right away. And at that point I suggested that the most appropriate, solution would be in the interim to, to at least contain that one location where the 
because at that point the the encampment took up maybe a fifth or a sixth of of the park space. Mm-hmm. It wasn't contained at that point, and of course it spread throughout the entire park. And now the the, the, the situation in the park is that there's a pretty significant amount of of you know uh, remediation that's going to need to happen in that park. So what I hope that we see as we start bringing in some of these services in is that we're also this is the direction we've given, is that we're also starting to constrain some of the, the physical space in the park that's being used for uh, this encampment, and so that we're not creating sort of a sanctioned encampment for uh, folks from the region. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, my, yeah, my responsibility is to, 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 to Vancouver and, and, and obviously my neighborhood, but first and foremost to, to the city of Vancouver. And, and, you know, Vancouver does a lot of heavy lifting on the, on the, on the homeless file as it is and um we don't see that uh throughout the region right. in the same kind of capacity so we have to be very careful that whatever we do is not setting us up as as a funnel uh, as like a draw work. yeah exactly exactly so bc housing has has their mandate and that's that's to house british columbians you know my mandate as a, as as a, as a counselor and the rest of my council and the mayor our mandate is for the is for the people of Vancouver. So, do you think it's slow and steady? Then, like over the next few weeks, will you think we'll see more progress? Yeah, definitely, most definitely. That's I mean, and this this has been been uh, you know in steady communication with with our key team members over the holidays uh, to ensure that things are moving along, and and they are moving along. And um, you know, I'm I'm the direction that was announced a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I think Fumano sort of had Dan Fumano and the Vancouver Sun had the sort of first crack at the coverage of this, and, and that's that's still the plan. Uh, and things are all moving in that direction. Where the Park Board have authorized their general manager with uh, uh, to seek an injunction if that's if that's necessary, uh, with the condition that that there is um, safe locations for folks. You know, in the meantime, we've had a couple of people die in the park um yeah and and when we know that that you know it's cold it's wet i was down like i said i was down there last night and it's 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 pretty pretty over the top it seems like something out of a world war one movie with trenches and mud and garbage everywhere it was just really appalling to 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 witness how horrible it is in this weather so i think with the the bringing in of showers and 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 um warming tents and that kind of thing, we're going to eliminate some of the major risk around folks. Uh, we've had a number of propane tank explosions with people trying to stay warm and, of course, fires burning down tents and whatnot. So this will definitely elevate the level of safety for folks. Uh, it has to be sort of with the condition that we're also moving to, to decamp right. Strathcona Park and get folks into better housing mm-hmm. uh, and shelter. And that's where BC housing is a critical part of the equation because, of course, that is the mandate of BC housing is to right. provide housing and shelter for British Columbians and, and, and we all pay taxes for that purpose. So this is where, where BC Housing's uh, partnership in this is critical to the success of, of getting folks out of the park and into, into warm, appropriate housing. All right. Shelter. Well, Pete, thank you so much for joining us. All right, Simi. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. Pete Fry, Vancouver City Councilor, talking about the situation in Strathcona Park, which sounds like slow but steady is kind of the phrase to use there. So they do have uh, a new agreement that's going on that's that's changing things there. They said over the next few days, staff with BC Housing in the city of Vancouver are going to install a temporary warming tent 
washroom shower facilities at Strathcona Park. And they said to create the space for those services, they're working with the people who have like RVs and vehicles parked along Raymer Avenue to move them to other locations. But they said this is temporary as they get ready to completely depopulate Strathcona Park there. Uh, But I know for a lot of people, when you see the devastation and things that are going on there, you think can't come soon enough to help those people. We've talked so much about the restaurant industry in 2020 and how, you know, so many restaurants are struggling. But we don't talk as much, and we should, about the infrastructure behind those restaurants and how those companies have also been impacted. For instance, there are a lot of companies out there that deliver wholesale product to restaurants. Maybe not to the rest of us, but to restaurants, this is where they get their supplies from. Well, Jillian Sheridan is a partner at Legends Hall. That is a company that until recently delivered wholesale food services to area restaurants. And Jillian joins us now. Good morning. Morning. Thanks for having me. Well, I got to tell you, Jillian, when I saw that you were on the rundown today and I looked up your company, that just, that was an hour of my workday gone because I spent time on your website now. But tell us about Legends Hall. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, like you mentioned, we were, we were actually just a wholesale business before the pandemic hit. And so we supplied um, mainly like high-end and and consciously sourced meat and seafood to restaurants um, across BC. And then the pandemic hit and all of our restaurant partners were closing. It was a really hard time. And we decided to quickly pivot and launch home grocery delivery. Um, And one of the big pieces of our home grocery delivery is our Friends of Legends section. So what we do is we actually work with a lot of our partners around the city they create these wonderful meals. We call them our heat meat meals and package them up. They're frozen and then we sell them on our site. So it's become this like really wonderful way for people to continue supporting their local restaurants Mm. um, while buying their groceries through us. So now anybody can go on your website and order the same kind of products that these restaurants would normally order for their customers. Yeah. So for example, you can order the the Shambar short rib or their famous risotto, or you can order the Cafe Medina waffles, which I think everyone knows about and loves. Yes. Um, We've got, you know, sauces and dumplings from Bao Bay and enchiladas from Las Margaritas. Um, The list goes on and there's honestly, we just feel super blessed to have such an amazing rundown of our, our our true friends of legends listed on there. Now, is this something that's going to stay though, Jillian? Because I admit I've really gotten hooked on ordering from restaurants and meal kits and just like that good food that restaurants have, but is it going to stay or when everything goes back to normal, is it all going to go away? Well, we always laugh because we're like, well, we're in this for the long haul now. <laughs> we, um, we've doubled our business, our staff, our trucks, We've moved our grocery division now into its own um, 10,000 square foot warehouse. And so we're like, we're, we're here to stay. We're not going anywhere. If anything, we've really discovered with um, our Friends of Legends that this is another awesome stream of revenue for everyone. Um, and over on our wholesale side, we're actually now distributing Shambar into other retailers as well. Okay. So, so yeah, this has so actually been a good bit. Like you've actually increased your business. Yeah, and it's weird. It's 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 such a weird time because we know that there's so many people struggling, um, and you know we've struggled, but just in different ways. It, you know, growing so quick comes with its own challenges for sure. But yeah, it's been kind of a, a weird silver lining for us for sure. And you've also been able to provide that lifeline, I know, to a bunch of restaurants, bakeries, and stuff as well that you have on your website, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I think like, you know, honestly, there's been weeks like I don't think any of us slept during the month of December. It was so insane. But then you talk to one of your partners, um, you know, Caddo Bakery or Claire at Livia and, you know, they're like inundated with work and, and working around the clock to just make enough bread or enough croissants for us. And I think, you know, when you talk to your partners and you know that you're making a difference in their business, it makes it worth it. Well, that's amazing. Okay, so where can people find out more? So just go to legendshall.com and hall is H-A-U-L. Um, and then look for, you know, you'll see a little tab that says, what's cool? And under there, <laughs> we've got a whole bunch of like cool, funky stuff that's always changing and happening. And you're going to find our friends with legends under there. Um, but if not, just in your search bar, search Shambar, Medina or some of your favorite restaurant restaurants and, and you'll see stuff come up. No kidding. I already see some great stuff I want to order. Thank you so much, Jillian. Thank you for having me. And Happy New Year. That's Jillian Sheridan. She's a partner at Legends Hall. So legendshall.com. You go on their website. Boy, oh boy, is there some great stuff that I have seen there. But just another good example of how local companies uh, that are kind of within the restaurant industry umbrella are pivoting to, you know, expand what they're offering. And you heard them, they're busy. So many restaurants, bakeries, uh, places like that, delivery places were just run off their feet in the month of December. We know that the bar and restaurant industry is not happy about the timing of the announcement yesterday, changing the rules for New Year's Eve and the serving of alcohol. So to talk about that, everything that's been going on, joining us now is Health Minister Adrian Dix. Thank you very much for being here. Good morning, Simi. Good morning. Lots of criticism about the timing of that decision yesterday. So why wait until yesterday afternoon? Well, uh, why did we make? Why did Dr. Henry make the decision? We've seen and we see case counts four hundred and eighty-five yesterday. Um, significant increase in people passing away eighty-five since Christmas Eve in BC and everywhere in the world. I mean, everywhere in the world where Christmas and New Year's are celebrated in this way. Uh, governments and people have been concerned about this period and what it can mean for the transmission of COVID-19 and saying, and it's a provincial health order that people need to gather only with people in their households. And we know how difficult that is. So this was an additional step taken by the provincial health officer. I think it's the right step to put some limits on the sale of alcohol. In other words, the last call was moved up two hours. The intent is to keep people safer. I know that there um, are concerns about that, that uh, people in the bar and restaurant sector have been struggling. And I think uh, people in BC have also been, to a great extent, focusing on buying local, which is a good thing. But that uh, we know that the consumption of alcohol uh, in those kinds of settings does spread transmission. How do we know this? Because we saw a change in those transmission patterns when we moved the last call to 10 p.m. earlier this year. And so this is a step taken for this day to try and keep people safer. It's difficult, like all of the other steps have been difficult. You have to factor in the consequences, but you also have to do what we need to do right now during a surge of COVID-19 across the world to take steps to keep people as safe as possible. So if we know, though, that the spread is mainly coming from private gatherings inside homes, why cut off liquor sales at 8 o'clock in restaurants? Well, Simi, we've taken action about private homes, right? So we've said to people, you can only gather with people in their household, and that's a provincial health order that's been in place in Metro Vancouver essentially since November the 7th. 
Uh, we've also taken action later in November about events outside of the home. It's had a real impact. You know, you've talked to people, and uh, I've certainly talked to lots of people involved in churches and temples and synagogues and gurdwaras who have been profoundly affected by that as well. So we have taken those steps. This is an extra step. And I understand the challenges, and I really encourage people to continue to get takeout to support local businesses in every way that they can. And what's obviously an extraordinarily difficult time, but you look across North America, everybody has said we need New Year's Eve to be quiet this year, and we need it to be quiet this year. We've seen in resort communities where issues such as this can be a problem. We've seen at Big White over 100 cases related to what's happened at Big White in Kelowna. We've seen, uh, and and we've seen, and this is to the plus side, a really positive response from the bar and restaurant sector. But outside of the Atlantic bubble, we're the only place in Canada where we have in-restaurant in dining right now. And that's because of the steps taken by the restaurant sector and because we have been working. Mm-hmm. But this is, I think, I think everybody agrees that this surge of COVID-19 at a time when we're just getting the beginnings of a vaccine response is a critical moment in the pandemic. And that's why Dr. Henry took the steps that uh, she took yesterday. Now, just moments ago, Ontario reported record high numbers again, 3,328. And that's without the effect of Christmas get-togethers. So they expect those numbers will go higher. Are you concerned about the impact of Christmas get-togethers and what that may do ahead? Is that why you were thinking about cracking down? Well, I'm I'm concerned, and we are have been concerned about Christmas get-togethers, and you've heard that like every time, virtually every time, uh, Dr. Henry's spoken in public. For every, virtually every time I've spoken in public, we're concerned about the impact of Christmas, and we're con- uh, get-togethers, and we're concerned about what will happen today. And so, we're doing is sending people uh, uh, as well a pretty strong message that the need to stay with your household today is paramount. We need to continue to add to our layers of protection so that we can be safe. Um, It's not going to be an ordinary New Year's, and we know this, and we know the consequences for lots of people. Consequences uh, of the changes that have already been placed are significant. But I I have to say, we also, um, people have also been responding extraordinarily well. So we've got to continue to take these steps now. We've seen a relative decline in case counts over the last number of weeks, but it's only relative. We had 485 cases yesterday, and what we're seeing is the from the effect of the surge as well on mortality rates. So this is a time when everybody has to dig in, and I know it's hard, but everybody has to dig in. Are, are you concerned about testing, though? And I know we talked to you months ago, and you wanted us to be up to 20,000 tests a day, and we haven't come close to that. No, what I said was that we need to have the capacity to do 20,000 tests a day, and we do. And uh, that's what we built up to, and we reached that goal at the beginning of November. So that if if 20,000 people present, you know, when we test symptomatic people in BC, if 20,000 people present, we're ready for that, and we are. Um, and uh, we haven't reached that because our test levels haven't reached that at this point. But uh, but uh, if they if they w- would, and we don't want that to happen, we'd be ready for that. So that's that's what that is. Am I concerned about? Our testing, I'm not concerned about our ability to test, but I want to encourage people if they have symptoms to get tested because, and they can go on, we have a guide 
at the BCCDC website, a self-assessment tool that, that people can use and that if they need to be tested, they should get tested. We have the capacity to do it. The turnarounds are lower than they've been for some time, as, uh, as I understand it. And so we want to encourage people to be tested as well. We've hired uh, significantly more contact tracers than anywhere else in the country and continue to make all the efforts. It's a massive effort to deal with COVID-19, as you can imagine, being made by people as well. And that includes the restaurants and bars we're talking about as well. Okay, so but looking ahead, though, the fact that we did have some lower testing numbers over Christmas, Dr. Henry pointed that out as well. She said that she thought people were reluctant to get tested over Christmas. Do you feel that as well? Well, I, I think we would have expected days like Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day to have less testing. I think we would have expected that, and we saw that yesterday. We had, I think, in the neighborhood of um, 6,500 tests um, that yielded the 485 cases. What happens when we test less is that our investigation, our investigative testing is more important, so we're targeting testing to close contact, so it's a higher percentage of the total. So what you'll see on those days is a higher test positivity rate, but in, in general, everywhere in North America... Everywhere, especially where Christmas is celebrated and New Year's is celebrated in this way, uh, people are concerned about uh, adding to the surge we obviously see. And that's why we have to take steps now. There is good news, Simi. Mm-hmm. We, have the, we have vaccine. We've got good news about AstraZeneca from the United Kingdom yesterday. That vaccine is being distributed. More than, I think, uh, 14,000 people had received uh, the vaccine as of, uh, as of Tuesday night. And we'll have... Uh, uh, more figures today, and uh, that effort's happening uh, everywhere in the province, I think in, in 19 places right now, to uh, use the relatively small amount of vaccine we have, especially to protect the vulnerable, protect long-term care, and you're going to continue to see that in the coming weeks. But So there is good news here, but we really, really, really need everybody uh, to work hard and to focus Uh, bringing in this new year in a different way than we usually do. And what is your message then to the restaurant and bar industry that are not happy about this decision? I understand they're not happy. I've heard, right? And um, and we we wouldn't expect them to be happy. What we've tried to do in BC, and I think the record shows much more than any other jurisdiction, is to to make fewer decisions, have fewer orders, and to try and see those orders implemented. And I think that strategy has been effective. This is a one-time order. It moves last call by two hours. And I know what, what New Year's Eve means. It's a big day in that industry. But I, but I would say this, that we're going to continue to work. And I want to encourage everybody out there. I know you are, and I mm-hmm. know everyone else is, to eat local and shop local, right? Because we need to support uh, our businesses right now across the province. And so my message to them is that we're going to continue to be working with them. And BC, uh, unlike other jurisdictions, believes that the, the bar and restaurant sector, is through its COVID safety plans, can do the job and that it is. And so we've taken a different approach than everywhere else, basically, in the country, working with the restaurant industry, and we're going to continue to do that. And I understand they're unhappy, but I think this is a necessary step on New Year's Eve to ensure that people are safer. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time this morning. Hey, anytime, Simi. Take care. You too. Happy New Year. Happy Happy New New Year Year. to you too as well. That's Adrian Dix, Provincial Health Minister, talking about the latest orders, particularly regarding New Year's Eve celebrations tonight. No alcohol uh, sold after 8 o'clock.